Amen. Have a seat. Well, good morning. See you, kids. It's great having you. But hey, if you don't know me, my name is JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful everyone is here today. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to John chapter 21. Go get them, Carter. <laughs> uh, John chapter 21, that's where we're going to start today. Um, so just to kind of fill you in on a couple things, uh, if you haven't been here the last few weeks and haven't heard this yet, next week we start the book of Philippians. And I'm, look at that. Your mom's like, she's killing it, right? I, right, I want to say Philippians is my favorite, but people make fun of me for saying that because I say it everything. Philippians is one of my favorites. Anyway, I, I love Philippians so much. And um, as you might guess, every time we start a new book series, I get really excited. I get excited about wrapping up the one we're in and starting a new one. Um, but I think I was talking to Ethan before service, and I, I don't remember a time that I was this excited about a new book series. Um, I'm always, like, again, I'm always excited. But I, man, this is just going to speak directly into where we are and what we need to hear. And, you know, we've been in this big, like, big, big, big uh, book, like a the Gospel of John just has a, such huge scope and the life of Jesus and all of these things and praise God and thank God for it. But Flemings is now going to take that, like uh, us spending 63 weeks while talking about Jesus every single week. And we're still going to talk about Jesus every single week, but now Philippians is a book that gets really practical for us. It takes all of those things, the gospel, and really brings it into the real world and how that affects us in everyday life. And I'm, I'm really pumped about it. So, I, I mean, I would encourage you um, this week... Uh, just dive into Philippians. It's only four chapters. You could read it this, the, the whole thing this week. Um, read chapter one in particular, because that's where we're going to be starting. Like really next week's going to be an overview. But if you want to really know kind of the heart of the book, start in Philippians, read Philippians two, the first 11 chapters. They call this like the hymn of Christ. They think it was actually probably a hymn about Jesus in the early church. And it's kind of the heart of the entire book. So if you want to kind of look at the heart of the book, read Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and you're really going to capture what, what we're going to be communicating. That's why we're calling the series Divine Humility. Denver, do you even know, do we have the slide for Philippians over there? I have no idea if we have it actually loaded up yet because it's for next week. But we call the, the series, we're calling the series Divine Humility. And if you read Philippians chapter 2, you might be able to grasp why. We're not just talking about us, that we should be humble, right? Um, a lot of us have proven in our life that it's really hard to just be humble. But Jesus showed us the example of what humility looks like as, as the God who became man, like not just humility, but divine, godly humility. Um, and just that concept... Um, of God being humble should kind of blow your mind. How could the God of the universe be humble? But he is. And so that's going to kind of be at the heart of what we're going to be in Philippians. I didn't mean to preach a sermon on Philippians today, so let's move on. Um, the last thing before we get going is just to remind you is that we have a members meeting right after the service. So if you're a member, hang out here. Um, we're going to, hopefully, we're, I think we're wrapping up church a little bit earlier than normal today. And then by 1130, we'd like to get the members meeting started so we're not um, overdoing our time here. And so if you're not a member, let me just say this. We love you. And normally we're like, hang out and talk forever, and we'd love for you to hang around. But today we're going to have a meeting right after service. And so if you're interested in becoming a member, please come talk to me. I'd, I'd love to talk, talk to you about that process and what that means. But after the service, we're going to have a, a, a really kind of important members meeting. It's kind of a defining members meeting for us moving forward as a church. So if you could stick around and maybe help. Where's Larry? Are you in here? <laughs> Do you need any help, like right after service, like tearing down connections? Yeah, so Larry's right here. If you can, like, right after service, before the members meeting, help him and Sheila, like, tear down um, connections so it can be done. So then they can come back in here and be ready to start the members meeting. That would be helpful. I asked the tech team, and they said there's not much because Samuel and Nikki are kind of doing their thing today, and there's not much to tear down. So don't worry about that. Okay. Whew. We good? Hey, Carl. Good to see you, buddy. All right. So if, if you haven't heard me say this lately, we are in week 63, the last week of John. I can't believe we're here. If you're kind of newer to Freshwater and you, kind of, you came in in the last like five or six weeks of John and that, um, 
congratulations, you're here at the end. We'll start a new book next week and you can start fresh with us, right? But week 63, um, I said this a couple weeks ago. If you haven't been with us, we started this book in September of 2021, which just blows my mind. Like how long ago that really was. But that's when we started this book. And um, this week, like every week, like the first week, we're going to finish with our eyes just squarely fixed on Jesus Christ. That's where we're going to land today, like every week in this book. And what, I kind of love it because this book, this big book about the, the life of Jesus Christ with such big scope ends in a very intimate way, right? It ends with a, a very personal, very important conversation between Jesus and Peter. Like that's how it ends. How great is that? Of all the big things, it just ends with a conversation. Uh, it's a moment that's very much about grace and mercy and forgiveness and restor- restoration and, and the call that, that Jesus has put on Peter's life moving forward after he ascends. And so here, here's the thing about where we're going to close today. This moment is very much a moment between Peter and Jesus, right? And so sometimes with scripture, we have to be careful about inserting ourselves into the story, right? Um, he, Jesus is talking to Peter here and what Peter has, has been through. And so we don't want to insert ourselves in. It's like Jesus is saying this exact same thing to me. So let's, let's read it for what it is. You know what the next word's going to be? But, but that doesn't mean there, there's not things that we can learn from it, glean from it, and we can't look to the examples of Christ and look to the example of Peter to learn a lot about how we're to live our faith, but more importantly, about who Jesus Christ is. This is one of those passages, if you're paying attention to it, will really show you who Jesus really is and how much he cares for and loves, um, loves those who give their life um, for him and believe in him as their savior. And so what, where we're going to start today is if you remember last week, Jesus appeared to his disciples at the Sea of Galilee. So they're on, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They were out fishing. Jesus made it so they caught 153 fish when they had caught nothing all night long and all of a sudden 153 fish. And they come into the shore. Honestly, one of my favorite parts of the Gospel of John Jesus has risen from the dead. He's risen as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, proving that he's the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And what does he do when they come to shore? He cooks some breakfast. The King of Kings serves the disciples. He doesn't, as Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. This is what I'm talking about, divine humility, right? That we're going to talk about in Philippians. Jesus cooks the disciples' breakfast on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, and serves his people. That's where we're going to pick it up today in verse 15 of chapter 21. Let's read the first few verses, 15 through 17. John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, the breakfast that Jesus cooked for them, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon or Peter, he's talking to Peter here, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Probably referring to the disciples. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep feed my sheep. So to really understand this moment between Jesus and Peter, um, where he says this thing to Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? We have to kind of go back to a moment that came before us, right? We we have to go backwards. If you remember, um, Peter has a little bit of a reputation of saying things and doing things before he's really thought it through. And sometimes Peter does things that are just incredibly courageous and brave and amazing for the gospel. And some things he just does, he, sometimes he says things and does things where you just kind of shake your head like, oh, Peter, oh, Peter. This is like not the most advisable thing. So before this moment, there was a moment when Peter kind of lead on, leaned on the negative side of that. There was a moment, another moment in a conversation between Jesus and Peter and the disciples in Matthew 26. Do we have that over there? Matthew 26, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he said this. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. This is the night that he was arrested and betrayed. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, he's talking about his resurrection, 
I will go before you to Galilee, which is exactly where they're at right now, right? Jesus, I'll be, after I'm resurrected, I'll meet you in Galilee. That's, what, that's this moment right now in John 21. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Like, exclamation point, I will not deny you. And all the other disciples, following Peter's lead here, said the same. So in front of all of the disciples, in front of Jesus, Peter made this bold declaration. And then three times, Peter publicly, right, not in private, publicly denied his Savior after Jesus was taken and arrested to be killed. Peter said, I will die before that happens. Exclamation point. Yet when the time actually came, what did Peter do? Exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. He denied him three times. You know, we can see in Matthew 26 right here and in other places throughout the Gospels that Peter's not necessarily the leader of the disciples, right? But they tend to at times follow his lead. Does that make sense? Like Peter does something and, and, and it seems like right here, Peter says, I'll never do it. And the rest of the disciples are like, me either. You kind of see some of that through the gospels that he's not necessarily the leader, but he's kind of the unspoken one that he's so quick to speak out and so quick to go to the front that others tend to, tend to follow what he does. And listen, they all know. They were all there when Peter said he would never do what he did. And I've said this a lot through the gospel of John, but sometimes we just read this as an ancient story, Right? But if this is a group of real people with real emotions who go through real things, listen, a moment like this doesn't just go away. They all know what Peter said, what he declared, and what really happened. And, and that would just have kind of been hanging over all of them. Jesus has returned, but they all denied Jesus in the end because they all ran away. But Peter so publicly, so boldly denied him three times. Church, so if we go back to John 21, this, this moment in John 21 isn't Jesus questioning Peter on whether he loves him or not. He's Jesus. Do you, do you think Jesus is having any trouble understanding whether Peter loves him or not? No, right? He knows that Peter loves him. This is not about him trying to figure out how, how Peter feels. It's Jesus publicly in front of all of the other disciples showing them all that Peter is forgiven showing them that he is, and that he's not just forgiven, but that he has been restored, and, and he's showing them that, that Peter has been called to something, to lead the flock of the great shepherd. Three times Peter denied Christ. So Christ is turning that failure on its head now and publicly three times, confirming his love for Peter, his forgiveness of Peter, and showing them that Peter has been restored. So it ends up kind of being this like really beautiful moment that, again, would have been really important to all of them. Again, if we don't just think about this from a distance, but you think about how relationships after, how they work, there would have been that underlying elephant in the room that hadn't gotten addressed yet, and Jesus just addressed it. And he's, he's letting them know, it's, it's okay, Peter has been restored. And not only restored, but I have something for him, like I have something for you all. So this is one of those moments, we don't want to insert ourselves into that story, right? This is a moment between Peter and Jesus and the disciples, and it's an important one. But it doesn't mean we can't learn from the example. Because how often, how often have, have you not been able to move on from your own past failures, your own past, your own sin? It's just that thing that you say that you, you know that you're forgiven. You say that you want to move forward. But it's still that thing that just kind of hangs there. Like this. This thing that Peter did and said would have always been hanging there if, Peter, if Jesus wouldn't have helped them work through this, to move past this. And so Jesus is saying, yes, we have moved past this. We have moved on. Peter, I know that you love me. I have restored you. I am sending you. And if, you, if you're wondering if that's true, just keep reading. He's about to tell Peter he's got an incredibly important mission. We're going to talk about that, right? But how many times in your life is there something that, that Jesus is declaring you are forgiven if you are a believer in faith? Your past is forgiven. The thing that you've done is forgiven. Because listen, we can look at Peter's, Peter's sin here and think that it's not that big of a deal, but it is a really big deal. He had Jesus. He was friends with Jesus. He got to encounter his Messiah. And he looked Jesus in the face and said, I'll never do that. And then he did it. That's an enormous failure. 
And Jesus forgives it in a moment. Not only forgives it, but says basically to Peter and the rest of the disciples, let's move forward. I know it. I saw it. Let's move forward. Where do you need to accept that kind of forgiveness for yourself in your life? Maybe even again, something that you thought you moved past, but you really haven't. You need to let the, the grace of Jesus Christ wash over that thing so that you might move forward into what he's called you to. Jesus has plans for all of us for the sake of his name and for the kingdom of God. The enemy's the one that wants to hold you back from that with accusing you and lying to you about who you are. This is who Jesus is saying that we are all through the gospel of John, all through the New Testament. Not the, the dirty sinner, the restored, holy child of God that he has plans for. Let's move forward in the plans that God has for us. Okay. And saying that now, now that Peter, now that the disciples can clearly see that, that Peter has been forgiven, that he's been restored, what does Jesus say he has for Peter? He says, I want you to tend and feed my sheep. I want you to tend and feed my sheep. And we can go into this. Actually, people look at the, the love, and they think that the, in the Greek, there's different words for love, and there's different words for feed. But I just think this is meant to be more simple than that, right? This, this is also, this moment is also a callback to other things that have been said in John. And John chapter 10, we got that one, Denver? John chapter 10, it says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep, which Jesus has just done. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Who's that? It's you. And it's me. It's non-Jewish people. Right now it's for the Jews, but he's about to go to all people who will believe. I have, I, and I have sheep that are not of this fold, and I'm going to bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. So he's saying, I'm the good shepherd, and nobody took I laid my life down from the sheep, but nobody, no, nobody can take my life. I had the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again, because I am the good shepherd. This is the charge that the Father gave me. So listen, what, what Jesus is doing here, he's not asking Peter that now that Jesus is about to ascend in heaven, he's not asking Peter to be, the true, to be the true shepherd, to take over for him. He's asking him to tend and feed the flock of the good shepherd on his behalf. That's what pastors are called to. Jesus has already told the disciples that he's sending them out. Right? He says, I was sent by the Father, and now I am sending you. So that's evangelism. He's sending them out to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world, which is about to happen. Not very long from now in Acts 2, it all begins, and then never stops, right? But this moment right now when Jesus is telling Peter, I want you to tend and feed the sheep, is not really about evangelism. Not really. It, it can lead to that, but it's not about evangelism. This is about Peter as the example and the rest of the disciples loving and caring for the flock, loving and caring for the church that is coming as a pastor, as an elder. And Peter's role in that is to tend and feed the sheep. So let's look at those words real quick. The word tend. What does it mean, mean to tend the sheep? Well, I mean, in, in farming, tending the sheep is just taking care of them, right? Caring for them, protecting them, watching over them, giving them what they need, all of those things. But when it comes to what Jesus is actually calling him to, it's those same things, to care, to protect, to, to, to take care of. But Peter actually defines it for us. We don't have to really wonder. Now, this is not an all-compassing definition of what it means to tend the sheep. But we'll just let Peter tell us what, what Christ meant when he said this. In 1 Peter 5, we got that one? 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, says this. So I exhort the elders, or another word for that is pastors, among you, as a fellow elder. Do you see how Peter's not setting himself up above every other pastor or elder in the world? He's saying, we're fellow elders together. Peter is their leader, yes, but he's saying, we are a fellow elder, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's a direct response to what Jesus Christ told him to do. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, 
not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's how we lead, right? That's one of the main ways we lead. Not authoritatively, by, by being an example. And when the chief shepherd or the good shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, tending the sheep, there's, there's lots of other passages that talk about elders, pastors, overseers, and what they're, what they're to do. But tending the sheep here, Peter says things like meaning giving oversight. And, he, and he's communicating in humility. Give oversight in humility. Right? Again, this passage and what Jesus is saying in other passages, we know it means to protect, right? To protect from the lies of false teaching. Protect from the lies of this world and from sin. It means to give yourself in service as an example of faith for the sake of others. It's one of the greatest things that pastors and honestly deacons do too. Give yourself as an example of faith for the sake of others and listen to do it all with joy. This is not a career choice. This is not a job that it gets treated like that sometimes. This is a calling to go and give yourself in joy for the sake of others without any hope of worldly gain whatsoever. Just trusting that God will take care of those things. What it really means is always directing the sheep's attention, always directing the people's attention, not to yourself, but to the good shepherd, because in the end, it is his and will always be his flock. That's what we do. That's why we say, like, we exist to glorify God, glorify God and advance the gospel at this church. It's not about good advice. It's not about what I think in the end or what you think. This is all, every week we're pointing each other to Jesus Christ, because he is the good shepherd. So that's a good, quick overview of what it means to tend, right? To protect, to guard, to watch over, to care for the flock. The sheep that Jesus has called Peter to look out for. Now, a lot of what tending comes down to is just being willing to give yourself, to give your time, to give your gifts, to give yourself for the sake of others. And to be willing to be an example in that. But Jesus also said to feed the sheep, to tend and feed the sheep. So feed them what? What's the main way that we point people to the good shepherd? The word of God, right? The word of God, that's what we feed them. When Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan for 40 days, Right? Satan offered him some bread because he was really hungry, right? It was 40 days. He was hungry. But what, what was Jesus' response to Satan when he tempted him with that? In Matthew 4 4, if we've got that, Matthew 4 4, he says this, but he answered it. it is, this is Jesus. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is what Peter, this is what the other disciples and every other pastor, every other elder, every other overseer is being called to do. Listen, I said this before, I'll say it again, not to give good advice. Can we give each other good advice sometimes? Yeah, can we share wisdom that we've learned over time? Yes, we should and can do that. But as I say all the time, my good advice for most of you is not going to be remembered in a week from now, definitely not in a year from now or five years from now, but the word of God will stand forever. This is the role. This is what we give people because this will always exist. This will always be important. This is what we feed the sheep, the word of God. That's what we point them to. And it just so happens that Jesus Christ describes himself like this in John John 6:35 Jesus said to them I am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst like we read that but like this is this is the answer what peter is to feed them is the bread of life that's what he's to feed them. For we are starving, church. But especially before we know Jesus Christ, we are starving. Our souls are starving, and we're looking for something to fill the emptiness inside of us. You ever felt that emptiness? Like that hole inside of you? Like there's got to be something more? It's because there is something more. And this is what Peter is supposed to feed the people. Jesus himself, the bread of life. Now, how else does John describe Jesus? We're supposed to give people the word of God. How does John describe Jesus? Well, from the very beginning, this is how he described Jesus in John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. 
Man, that's an important word because in the end of John, he goes back to this. He's like, I want you to know and believe. Why? So that you might have life, like abundant life in him now and life eternal forever in, in, in heaven with Jesus Christ. To have life. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. What else did Jesus say? I have overcome the world. The darkness has not overcome it. Church, what Christ is calling Peter to do, he's calling the sheep, to, he's calling to do for the sheep is to give him him. That's, that's the role. That's what he's telling him to do. Yes, we do that through the physical word of God, right? By reading actual scripture. But the Bible isn't just a list of stories. It's not just a list of rules. It's not just something that we read so that we can check a box. It's a thing that's literally point. The word of God is literally pointing us to the word of God. And by the, the power of the Holy Spirit transforms us to be more like the capital W word of God. That's what it means to be an overseer. That's what it means to be an elder and pastor. That's what Jesus Christ is calling Peter to do. Jesus, say, Jesus is saying to Peter, if you love me, and I know that you do, you'll not only care for my sheep and protect my sheep and watch over my sheep, you will give them the greatest thing that they actually need and might not even know that they need me. For this is why Jesus came, so that he could give himself as a ransom for the many so that we might be healed, so that we might be saved, so that we might be transformed by him. Three times Peter denied Jesus. So three times Jesus showed Peter he had been restored. And again, not just to be forgiven. Yes and amen to that. Yes and amen to those of us who know we don't deserve to be forgiven, that we've been forgiven, but at the forefront of the, but he, he forgave him so that he might be at the forefront of the most world, the biggest world changing event that would ever happen. Does that sound like hyperbole? It was an event through the resurrection, the ascension and the sending of the disciples. That is an event that would literally transform the world. Like it transformed the way that we keep time. It transformed the greatest empire in the world. It transformed the world in such a way that we now have unity and something in common with virtually all cultures and every nation on earth. Not every single person, right? But we can go to India and have something in common. We can go to Africa and have something in common. We can find unity with people in the, in the Philippines and Russia and everywhere else because of Jesus Christ. Where the gospel has gone, we have unity with people that we have nothing in common with other than Jesus. And we can go across the world. And some of you you have done it, and I have done, done it, and worshiped and feel like brothers and sisters with people that we have nothing in common with except for Jesus Christ. The world has been transformed by this moment and what Jesus has done right here with Peter. It's not, you can't really overstate it. It's the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, and the building of its unstoppable church through Peter and the rest of the disciples. That's what's happening in this moment. The sending forth of what this is going to be. And so we can see this story, we can read this story at the end of John as this beautiful moment between Peter and his Savior, not just his Savior, his friend, Jesus, who loves him and longs to see him restored and so restores him. And it is that. That's what, that's what Jesus does. He sees us as man, a friend. He describes us as a friend, like we're friends of Christ, as brothers and sisters, as our Lord and God, and he cares for us in a very personal way. And in a very personal way, he wants to restore you so that you might send forth. So it is that. But it's also a moment in time that would be a major catalyst that would transform and bring change to the world that would last forever because God's church is unstoppable. And that's pretty amazing. Peter needed to accept this forgiveness, this love, and this redemption so that he might move forward in all that Christ had for him. So again, this is a story between Peter and John, but I'm going to say it one more time. Where do you need to do the same thing? It, church, it would really be a shame today if you just heard me say this for, I don't know, the 20th time through this series. And that thing inside of you, I know it's not, not every person in this room, but there's some of you that there's just something inside of you that you just... You've, you don't, you have such trouble letting go of, you have such trouble moving on from. Peter's been forgiven, you've been forgiven. Like, look what God does through restored people. Will you let him forgive you and restore you? Can you forgive yourself? Can you not make your, your trouble forgiving yourself more important, how you feel more important than what Jesus Christ has declared over you? What Jesus Christ did for you on the cross and through the power of his resurrection so that you might move forward? That's what he wants for you. 
I'm not saying like that's so easy. It's like you just forgive yourself and let it go and you just move on like it never happened, right? There's things to work through. We get that. That's why we have community, to work through those things together. But what if you could let it, let it go, be forgiven, be restored and move forward? What joy might be waiting for you on the other side? And when I say joy, I don't mean that everything's going to be easy. So when I say joy, I mean like, like actually being happy. Like happy that what the Lord has done, joyful, glad in what the Lord has done for you. It doesn't mean easy. It doesn't mean easy. But a fullness and a wholeness of knowing you're going where you're supposed to be going. So although this is an amazing moment between Peter and his Savior, like I just said, it doesn't mean that Jesus has called Peter to easy. Peter's got a ton of joy in the thing that Jesus has called him to. And it's, he's going to do amazing things. Read the book of Acts. He does amazing things for Christ. But it doesn't mean it was, it's going to be easy. Keep reading in verse 18. John chapter 21, verse 18. This is Jesus talking. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. Church, I guess we could spend a lot of time here, um, but it's pretty clear what's being said, right? Because it it defines this for us. Jesus is telling Peter that he's going to be martyred for his faith in him. Like he's going to be killed because he believes in Jesus Christ and because of the work he's calling, calling him to. And so this moment is him saying, yeah, Peter, when you were younger, you got to go and do whatever you wanted. But when it comes to your death, you're, you aren't going to get to decide. People are going to decide your death for you. And when it says you're going to stretch out your arms, we don't, I don't know for sure, but that does probably mean, that probably does refer to the fact that he's going to stretch his arms out and be crucified as his Savior was crucified. And you know what? Um, we don't know if, if this is, well, before I get to that, um, not only does this passage tell us that this is describing what kind of death that Peter's going to have, just in case it didn't seem clear enough that, that Peter got this in this moment, this is what Peter says about this moment in Second Peter 1, verses 13 through 15. This is Peter himself. I think it is right as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by the way of reminder. Listen, you know what he's doing right there? He's feeding the sheep, right? He's tending to them. He's talking about, he's stirring them up as a reminder of Jesus Christ. In the passage before, he's reminding them who they are in Jesus Christ. Verse 14, since I know that the putting off my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, right? This moment in John 21, it's clear to Peter what Jesus is saying. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, after my death, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Do you know how I would describe this moment? Tending and feeding the sheep. He's reminding them as he's, as he's getting closer to death of what Jesus has done. And he's saying, I'm going to keep telling you these things. And I'm going to keep telling these things so that when I'm gone, you're going to remember. You're going to remember who our Savior is. You know, church, church history, and I'm going to say, really, to be honest, more like church myth, says that Peter um, did die by crucifixion, but he was crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified in the same way as a Savior. Now, we don't know for sure if that's true. We don't know if that happens. But what we do know is that Peter gave his entire life to Jesus Christ, and then he died a similar death as a Savior, and it glorified God that it brought glory to God. And hear me, like a lot of us like would really fear this kind of life. And of course I get that. Like you give your life to Christ, you get persecuted so much that you get killed. We fear that. But, but listen, um, if you read the book of Acts, Peter would not have had it any other way. In fact, Peter served the Lord so ferociously, so passionately, that, that Peter that was willing to go out and basically say or do anything, God used that. Like that was actually a strength of Peter that sometimes showed weakness. But God used that by transforming. He used that to send Peter out to declare boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter got beat and he got thrown in jail and he got tortured for his faith and what he said and what he did. And what did Peter say about those times when those things happened? 
thank God, God saw us as worthy as being, as, as being tortured and suffering like Christ suffered. Like they praised God that they got to suffer as their Savior suffered. That was the life that Peter lived. He found joy. He rejoiced that he got to suffer because he knew it made him more like his Savior. Now, did he want suffering all the time? Nobody wants suffering all the time. I'm not saying that Peter longed to suffer, but when he did, when he knew he was suffering for Jesus, he rejoiced in it because he got to be more like his Savior, and that's what he wanted and made him feel closer to that friend that he had all that time. And that's pretty amazing that that Peter felt it was a privilege to suffer as his Savior suffered. And then as Jesus did when he first called Peter, at the very beginning... He does the same at the very end, and he says to Peter, follow me. And I think that had like a two-fold follow me, because one, Peter and Jesus with John falling close behind are about to go on a walk and talk in the next section of Scripture. But in the next section, it's going to be making clear he's not just saying, follow me, so he can follow him along as they go for a walk and a talk. He's saying, Peter, in all of these things, listen, follow me. Give your life to me, as you did at the beginning. You trusted me then, trust me now, and these things follow me. And praise God, like I said before, that we have books like the book of Acts, like we have books like First and Second Peter, where we get to see Peter not only followed Christ to the end, man, but he left us such an example of what forgiveness and redemption and a life lived well for the sake of our Savior actually looks like. Peter's life was something to look up to, to admire, to have as an example as God turned those weaknesses of Peter and he used them as strengths, as strengths. Now, all that being said, all that being said, Peter's still Peter, right? Peter's still Peter. And, and Peter being Peter always brings me comfort and hope. You've heard me say that before. Peter being Peter always brings me comfort, always gives me hope. Here's what I'm talking about. Read in uh, chapter 21, verse 20. We'll read through verse 23. John 21, verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? As we've been through the Gospel of John, we know that that's John himself. John's referring to himself there. So when Peter saw him, when he saw John following them, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me, right? Exclamation point. You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So, So I know I've said this so many times throughout the Gospel of John, but I just love Peter's reaction to things like this, how he reacts to things like this at times. Why? Because it's us, right? Is it not? Like, I know that's not all of you. Not all of you be like, well, well, what about him? But like, that's such a human reaction. That's why I love these stories. They're so realistic. Like, I, I, I'm pretty confident I'm like Peter in this. I'll be like, well, like what, what about this guy? So Peter and Jesus are going for a walk. And after Jesus has told Peter, listen, you are forgiven. You are restored. I've got you a mission to tend and feed my sheep. And that you're going to die for my name. You're going to die for my sake. Peter almost to me looks behind him and he says like, well, what about John? Right? That's just, yeah, 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 Jesus, I get it, but, but what about him? Um, listen, is that you? Isn't that us? And I, honestly, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's totally an unfair question, but I love Jesus' response to him. It kind of reminds me of how God responds to Job at the end of Job. If you've ever read that book, we won't get into that now, but it does kind of remind me of God's response to Job, where Jesus basically says, hey, listen, Peter, it's none of your business, That's not your business. Let me handle my business. You handle your business. That's a paraphrase, right? But that's basically what he's saying to him. If it's my will, he lives until I return. What is that to you? You follow me. Exclamation point, right? It's not, you follow me. You follow me. I love it. How beneficial would that be for so many of us to live by? 
Again, I know I'm not talking to everybody in the, in the room, but some of us, we get so worried about what we think other people are supposed to do, how they're supposed to live their lives. Like whether it's our spouse or our family or others in church or people at work, we get hung up on what they're supposed to be doing that we lose sight of what God has called us to do where he's called us to pursue people or to grow or to focus. Now, listen, I'm not saying, we know in the church that we're to pour out our lives for the sake of others, right? To build up, build up the body of the Christ. Sometimes that even means calling out sin because we love people, not in judgment, but calling them out so that they might grow, see their sin and grow. Yes and amen. But listen, that comes out of the fruit of the Spirit. That comes out of us growing in our faith and seeing where we can help other people grow and helping them grow along the way, not getting hung up on what everybody else is supposed to be doing while we lose our focus on what Jesus is calling us to be doing. That's what's happening here with Peter. That's what's happening with Peter. So a way of saying that is uh, us helping build other people up must come from us faithfully following Jesus Christ as his disciples. So Jesus tells him, don't worry about other disciples. You just worry about what it means for you to be my disciple. You just follow me. Now, that being said, remember that this gospel account was written decades, most likely decades after the other gospel accounts were written. If you weren't with us at the beginning, John was the only disciple. As far as we know, John was the only disciple that lived to old age. All of the other disciples were killed for their faith. And if you remember, they tried to kill John on multiple occasions, threw him off stuff, and I think they tried to tar him, right, and like burn him alive or something. Like, I mean, there's like all kinds of things they tried to do to John, but he just wouldn't die, so they shipped him off to an island for a while. And anyway, there's a whole story that we did at the beginning, right? They've tried to kill John. It didn't really take. Freaked people out. And so John's been exiled, and he's lived to old age. And so he's writing this gospel later, and so what it, what it sounds like has happened is there's been a rumor that has spread around the church and around the world, whatever the world is at this time, that John is never going to die. That's a problem. Because John is a theologian. He wrote the Gospel of John. But you know what else he is? A pastor. John is writing. He wrote this book about Jesus. Like He sounds like a pastor because he is a pastor. And that's, this is a problem that this rumor is spreading around. And he's tending and feeding his sheep well. He's tending the flock. And this is something he feels like he needs to address. Here's why I think he feels like he needs to address it. One, because it's true. This is what actually happened. And, and by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he's inspired to write this and inspired to put this at the end of John. Two, the second reason I think he wrote it is because he wanted to clear up any confusion that might be amongst the brothers and sisters in the church that are confused by Jesus saying that uh, supposedly that John's going to live forever when that's not what happened. And three, he wanted to protect the church. He wanted to protect the church against false teachers and liars that want to destroy the church. Can you imagine how false teachers could have used this against the church once John dies? John, as far as we know, when John writes the gospel of John, he's not that far from death. He's an old dude. So he's going to die. And if false teachers and, and false prophets have spread the word that John's never going to die, and they use that against the church, what happens when John dies? They use it to beat up the church. They use it to discredit the name of Jesus Christ and his church. So John is stating this at the end. Like I said before, he's, he's tending and feeding his sheep here. He's preparing the way for his death. He's preparing the way for the church so they can see, see it for what it really was. Not that John would live forever, but Jesus just telling Peter to mind his own business. That's all it really was. What is it to you if this is my will? You, you know my will for you. You go do that. So this is John being a pastor. So with all that, all basically throughout the gospel of John, all the truth has been seen. All the stories that we're going to get have been told about Christ. We've seen all the miracles. We've read and heard all throughout this book who Jesus is. Let's close with the last two verses. Read with me in verse 24. Chapter 21, verse 24 and 25. This is the disciple, the one who was following Peter and Jesus, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. John's referring to himself there, verse 25. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would have been written. 
Isn't that a beautiful way to end it? Man, I love that ending. I love that last verse. Church, in, in verse 24, John all but names himself. He never names himself in the gospel, right? He gives so many hints along the way about who's writing it, but I think it's just a sign of humility. John doesn't want to name himself, but he does all but name himself um, and reminds the readers that he was a witness to all of it. And that we all know that, right? Like, he's, I think that's why he's saying we. We all know that. Like, here, I mean, John's still alive. He, he's, he was alive when Jesus was alive. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows he was with Jesus. There's people, a lot of people still alive that knew that he was with Jesus. And so he's saying, you know that my testimony is true. You know who I am. You know all of the things I've been through. You know that I was with him and saw all of these things so that you can trust my account. I was there. I saw it. I've experienced it. And they tried to kill me a lot of times because of it, and they couldn't do it because Jesus still wants me alive for now. You can trust my account. And then John closes with a, with a similar statement to the one he closed chapter 20 with in, chapter, in John 20, 20, 30, and 31. But this time he adds a little hyperbole, which John doesn't add a lot of hyperbole in his book, but he does here, which I kind of love, so that we really might grasp what Christ did and what he said on earth. And he said, were every one of them, right, the things that Jesus said and did to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I don't know if you've thought about this, but can you imagine it? Have you ever thought through that the gospel accounts are just a tiny little slice of Christ's life? Like we just get a tiny little bit of what Christ actually did and what he said. People always wonder why the gospel accounts are different. Well, one, it was written way later, but also there's so many stories to tell. There's so many things that he said. And what, you know what? I cannot wait for the day that we get to heaven, we get to hear a lot of those other stories. We get to hear a lot about those other miracles because we're going to celebrate those things for an eternity and they're going to bring us pleasures and joys I think that we can't imagine now because we're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Listen, who is pleasure and joy? Satan did not create pleasure. He did not create joy. You are your God did. That's who he is. He is the giver of these things. And in his presence, that's what those things will be forevermore. I just can't wait. Like, you know, you've had those experiences with the Holy Spirit, haven't you? On one of those days where you hear a truth from God or God teaches you something and you're just like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. You ever had that moment? Listen, heaven's going to be that moment way better all the time. We're going to hear the stories of Jesus' miracles and what he said and just be like, oh my gosh, Jesus, you are so good. And I can't wait for that day. Because this is just a tiny little slice of who, how good Jesus really is. Church, in the end, John told us the goal of the gospel of John is that so that we might know Christ. So that we might believe in Christ and through him have life. Right? Have life. I, I, I've just been hoping and praying that God has used these last 63 weeks, for those of you who have been here the whole time, to do just that. So here's kind of like my final ask from the Gospel of John. This week, before we get into Philippians, make time to go back and skim through this book. I know you can't read, well, most of you probably couldn't go back and read all 16 chapters. If you can manage to do that, do that. But if nothing else, go back through and skim through the Gospel of John and go back and just be reminded. Be reminded of those things that you read or from a sermon or from life group or from discipleship or whatever else you did that like stirred your affections for Christ and mark those things down. The stories, the miracles, the passages, the things that happened. Because listen, I, I don't want us to close out this book and just kind of move on. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't move on from Christ. Like this is a story of his life and it's so easy to just kind of like close the chapter and out of Philippians, right? I don't want you to close the chapter. The, the word of God is living and active like a two-edged sword. Man, I was telling, TJ, was it you and I talking when I read a passage in Philippians, Philippians 4 that I love. That's one of, one of my like life passages that I've probably recited myself 10,000 times. Just the other day I was reading it again and I had a new insight and I'm like, What? How I missed that my whole life. Like it blew my mind and it was so encouraging to me. And I have literally probably repeated that verse to myself 10,000 times. It is one of the main passages that I hold on to. And God revealed something new to me the 10,001th time. How, how cool is that? 10,001st? That's probably better, right? 10,001st time. TJ gave me the side eye. He's a word guy. I was like, I said it wrong. 10,001st, right? 
That's what I want for you in the Gospel of John. Go back through and be reminded. Listen, if nothing else, I don't want to like give you a pass, right? If nothing else, just skim the headers in the ESV. If you've got the ESV, like, oh yeah, I love that story about when Jesus healed the lame guy. And like, what? go back and read it again. Mark it down. Remember it. Memorize it. Write it down somewhere and make this book a part of you because this book is a reflection. It is the word of God and it's a reflection of the word of God, which is the thing that you actually need. That's the thing that will give you life. We don't move on from the gospel. We don't move on from Jesus. We just keep diving deeper and deeper and deeper because whenever we feel like we've kind of gotten almost to the bottom of God's grace and mercy and love and peace and truth, we just find out that that well is infinitely deeper than we ever thought. Church, dive in this week and let the Gospel of John one last time help you to believe more fully in Christ, to know more deeply Christ so that you might have an abundant life, a joyful life in him right now and so that you, have, you might have absolute assurance of eternal life with him forever. Amen? I have to pray now. That means we're done with John. Give me a minute. Okay, we're done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We glorify you. We bless you. We stand in awe of you because of who you are and what you've done that's so beautifully displayed in the Gospel of John. We thank you for John, for you giving him the mind to be able to do this, Holy Spirit, for you giving him the power to be able to write this, and for 2,000 years later, it to be just as relevant to us today as it was 2,000 years ago when he wrote it. God, we're so thankful for who you are. God, we're so thankful that you're a God, the almighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords that cares about all of creation, all of humanity, all of your people, all of the church, but also just care about me, care about us and who we are in you and how we're growing in you and how we share your gospel and know your gospel and live in the truth of your gospel. What an amazing thing. Jesus, help us to know you more. Help us to love you more. Help us to believe in the joy that you said you've given us, that you've given us your joy, your happiness, your rejoicing, your gladness in us. Help us to to believe that's true and to live in that thing. Help us to live in the abundant life that you talk about. And then help us, God, to be the kind of people that are so full of you that we want to go out and tell other people about you because you're so good. God, remind us of the things in the Gospel of John that stirred our hearts and stirred our affections. And use those things to make us more like you, Jesus. One last time, God, thank you for this gospel. Thank you for your word. Help it to encourage us and grow us for the rest of our life. Because this book is about Jesus, and it is his name we pray. Amen.